Hope you're all doing well this uh, first Sunday after Christmas, that your celebrations were good, albeit, I suppose, uh, quieter than normal. Um, hopefully it was a, a good enough change, simplifying our Christmas, focusing us on Christ um, and on what he is doing in our lives by way of that incarnation that's so wonderfully celebrated last Sunday and again this past Friday. Um, hang on one second for me. Okay, um, well, uh, we've had our, our Christmas series of messages, and, um, and we're going to go back to Jeremiah uh, next week, uh, but we're going to take a little break, uh, look at a different part of God's glorious word uh, today. Um, our text for uh, this afternoon is Psalm 1, so you can go ahead and make your way there. We're going to read that together in just a minute. Uh, Psalm 1 is considered uh, a wisdom psalm. Um, these psalms uh, often contrast wisdom with folly. Um, the, the songwriter, uh, psalmist in this case, uh, presents two paths for life and two outcomes, an outcome for each. Um, uh, one of these is the path of the wicked and the other is the path of the righteous. Uh, and the writer puts these choices to us in a beautiful, artistic, lyrical manner. And, and the intention is to get us thinking about what it is we want and how best to go about uh, obtaining it. So let's look at Psalm 1 together and let's see what God wants to show us in the midst of uh, a, a year that's ending that's been very difficult um, and months ahead of us that are still uh, apt to be uh, difficult as well. Psalm 1, we're going to read verses, the entire psalm, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go ahead and uh, pray again. And then we'll dive into this. Father, we ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would work in each of us, Lord, and collectively as a body, um, those here, those watching, Father, that you would increase in us our desire for and, um, and even our ability to delight in reading and meditating upon your word. Father, we ask, Lord God, that... that that you would move us, Father, that you would enhance what we already have and see as good, Lord, that you would grant to those who are finding this all very difficult, Lord, uh, this path of righteousness, and that it would be the blessing, Lord God, that you intend for it to be, and that the result, Lord, would be fruitfulness, Father, that the result, Lord God, would be a true delighting in your word, a gladness, a joy, a celebration over it, and in the end, Lord, that you would give us a delightful communion with you through our regular time in your word 
hearing your voice, hearing your voice. Father, we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, um, the main uh, concern of the psalmist for his hearers and for the singers of the song is that they choose this path of righteousness. Um, and he does this by comparing it with the path of the wicked. Um, the path of the wicked is to associate themselves with those uh, who are rebelling against God, who are rejecting God. Uh, on the wicked path, you receive the counsel of these folks and you take on as your own their rejection of the Lord. And those who walk in the wicked path are likened to the chaff that the wind drives away. The chaff is the, the outer skin of the grain. Um, it's, it's, it's not what the farmer raised the grain to get. The farmer uh, planted and cultivated and watered and harvested to get the grain itself. And the outside shell is worthless to the farmer. So they thresh this grain. They, they break it up. And then when there's a breeze like there is today uh, in the threshing floor, they toss all that grain up with the outer chaff and the wind drives the chaff away and dropping to the floor is all that grain that they want, that they want to make use of, that's going to be good for their food. Um, and that, that chaff, that worthless stuff, is driven away. Or it's collected and burned, it's, it's worthless to the farmer. And that's what the wicked are uh, uh, likened to. Uh, in the end, the wicked are going to perish. Uh, the path of the righteous person is filled with delight in and meditation upon God's word. Um, those who take the righteous path are said to be fruitful. Um, they, uh, they're a healthy tree beside, planted beside uh, plentiful waters. Um, Life-giving, wonderful waters uh, are, is where this tree is at. Um, and the path of the blessed person leads to eternal life to an eternal gathering in righteousness with the righteous one, peace with our Lord. So the best path is made very obvious to the writers and to the readers by the psalmist, which is good because uh, my burden today is to concentrate on the path of the righteous. Um, so in that vein, um, here's what the psalmist seems to be saying to us. Uh, Joy-filled thinking upon God's word produces a blessed life. So especially for those who are taking notes, I'm going to repeat that. Joy-filled thinking upon God's word produces a blessed life. This is his path. That's the natural way things are going to work for those who are walking on this path. Um, it's, it's much less a reward than it is just a, a proper system, a way to go of B and B. Um, the points that we're going to be covering are these. First point is the portrait of the blessed person. The second one, the meditation of the blessed person. And lastly, the delight of the blessed person. Um, now, my, my hope in this is that we will all um, embrace the word of God as our source for abundant life. Um, we're going to have ample opportunity, um, some of it avoidable, some of it unavoidable, for taking counsel, hearing the counsel of our own sinful hearts, and of the, the world of humanity that doesn't know Christ. So let's look how we can instead point our, the gaze of our attention to God and to his wisdom for us, and in the end, enjoy a sweet communion with him. So that first point, the portrait of the blessed person. Um, this Hebrew word uh, that's translated blessed can mean either under God's blessing or happy. 
um, it would seem to me that anyone who is under God's blessing is going to be happy because they're living in the way that God desires for them to live with the natural consequences of blessing upon that. Um, so I, like many of the commentators, are going to go with happy as a, a very good understanding of this word blessing. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, one of the commentators I read uh, on Psalm 1, has defined uh, this word happy, uh, blessing, as supremely happy or fulfilled. And isn't that what everyone in the world is after, is to be wonderfully, ultimately happy? Uh, isn't this the desire of everyone's mother? We can hear her saying this, son, daughter, I just want you to be happy. Have you not heard that from your mother? I've heard this from my mother. Um, this supremely happy person is said to be like a tree planted beside streams of water. This tree has all of the life-giving water that it needs uh, because it's planted next to not just one, but two streams. Um, it's as if it's at the convergence of streams. So the streams are winding their way through, uh, through um, to a spot where they're coming together and the tree is planted right between them with a river on each side. Uh, the picture that I get, and I think is right for us to have, is of the drive that I take to see my father. My father lives in, um, well, in a little town called Fernley, about 40 miles east of Reno, Nevada. So the easiest way and, and one of the best ways to get there is to drive out the 14 up 395. That's going to take you through the Antelope Valley and through the little town of Mojave, which is just a dusty nothing of a town, and, and up the 395. And God bless everyone who lives there. There's got to be a reason to be there. Um, and up the 395, it is a desolate place. It's, it's a desert land. It's barren. It's dry. Um, and you'll drive miles and miles and not see anything living, not, nothing growing. And then all of a sudden, you'll be driving, and you'll notice way out in the distance a patch of green. Now, a patch of green being seen from that far away, it's got to be trees. It's got to be a, a group of trees. And I remember the first time making those trips thinking, what in the world is a patch of trees doing out here in the middle of the desert? There's nothing here and there's no, no, no life. Uh, and as you get closer to these trees, you'll find and you will always find that they're along a stream. There's water there and the water is life for these trees. These trees will not exist in that barren place except for that they're planted right next to a source of water. But the psalmist's picture gets even better. Uh, this tree didn't start its life next to these plentiful streams. Uh, Alec Motyer, another uh, commentator, helps us understand this Hebrew word for planted, and, and he draws out that it actually means to transplant. Um, so in many ways, this tree is like any tree I've ever planted. Um, Kid and I go to a nursery, we buy a tree that's been grown in a series of pots somewhere else, um, and we bring it back to the house. And I transplant it into the spot that Kit tells me to plant it into. That spot is where we plant it. And, um, and so I, I only have, and I suppose any of us who have planted trees, only have experience transplanting uh, trees. Well, the same is true for this this tree that is described uh, as the happy person, that the happy person is like. Um, it started in the middle of that de desert and that dry and barren land, and it's been transplanted beside the plentiful streams. Uh, this picture corresponds to the reality that 
that Christians work to grow in righteousness, that we work to put off sin and to put off righteousness in cooperation with God's power at work within us. It's the process of progressive sanctification. That's the theological term for it. In this picture, God declares us to be righteous and the power of sin over us is broken, but we're still, we're still, there's still remaining sin. We're still a tree in the barren land. Um, and then, empowered by God's spirit and in possession of God's truth, that we, we realize that our real dwelling place is beside the abundant streams of God's word. So, by God's grace, we pick ourselves up and we move ourselves and plant ourselves next to those streams of God's life-giving waters. Um, so then what does this happy person tree do when it's replanted next to the abundant streams? It, it yields its fruit in its season. It produces what God has made it to produce in the time that God makes those things to be produced. Um, this is where the tree analogy for this blessed person uh, gets very interesting. Uh, when we think of blessings from God, we have in mind things that benefit us. Um, we count our blessings of health, of a good marriage, of, of kind and obedient children, of all the food that we need and want, and a nice house and a good church, and all these wonderful things. These are all very good, and they are blessings to us. But the, the God-inspired psalmist sees a man who is like a tree, and trees are not like men. Trees don't bear fruit for their own benefit. Um, the birds peck at a tree to get nourishment. The squirrels eat the tree's fruit and nuts uh, for its survival. Humans plant groves of trees for the fruit ourselves to satisfy our hunger. Uh, Kid and I, those transplanted trees, we planted a, a tiny, a very tiny orchard next to our house. Um, and we didn't do that so that the fruit can fall to the ground and the rats could eat it. We didn't do that, and we don't particularly like it when the squirrels and the birds get to the fruit before we do. Uh, we planted those trees so that we could benefit by the fruit and so that we could bring the far more fruit that we can possibly eat here and bring it, put it out in bags out front so you guys can take it and be blessed by it as well. The prosperity of a tree is in the blessing of others. That's the nature of a tree. Uh, that's the way it is. Disciples of Christ have been rewired to find joy in blessing others. Uh, this is our blessing. This is, what, this is what is going to bring us greatest joy. So Christian husbands want to wash their wives with the water of the word. Wives want, want a, to deliver a timely and spirit-inspired encouragement to their husbands. Parents want to do the same thing and give wise and good instruction to their children. Um, each of us wants to be able to bring an answer to the one who asks for the reason of the hope that is within us. And we, we all long to be instruments of God's grace to help each other in that, that work of progressive sanctification, of growing in righteousness and in Christ's likeness. We all long to be a blessing to others. This is a good longing. It should be a longing of God's children. And along with bearing fruit, the leaves of this tree, we're told, do not wither. Uh, once it taps in to the streams of God's goodness, this tree is filled with life. Its, it's, its leaves wither in no way whatsoever. The tree is made so healthy by God's 
nourishment that it can withstand drought and blight and pestilence and, and the scorching summer sun and the freezing temperatures of winter. This, the person who's like this tree will endure, endure all of life's trials and be sustained in faith that leads to eternal life and to everlasting fellowship with our Lord. We'll have life in us by way of these streams and we'll be able to withstand everything that comes uh, that is, is um, seemingly, seemingly not good. Being like this tree means that the blessed person is spiritually healthy. Uh, all is well with her soul. She brings good to others and glory to God, regardless of whether the circumstances are health and freedom or COVID and sickness and restrictions. We should all want to be blessed uh, of God in this way, that we would be like trees planted beside streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. That's what the blessed person is like. So now let's look at what is the path that leads to these God-arranged blessings. Uh, the second point is the meditation of the blessed person. Uh, rather than taking the counsel of the wicked, the blessed man delights in and meditates on the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is the stream, uh, the streams that this blessed tree is planted next to. Uh, Boyce writes again, the, law, the word law is used to refer to the whole of God's inscripturated revelation. So, so the blessed man's meditation is on the entirety of the Bible, those Bibles that you're holding, the ones that are on your phone. Why does the blessed man find the Bible to be worthy of night and day meditation? He finds it worthy because he knows and he's convinced that all of the scriptures were authored by the Lord himself. God brought Paul to this conviction and in an inspired way caused him to write in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. God has caused all of it to be through these human writers. Peter, also convinced by God of the same thing, wrote in 2 Peter 1.21 when he said, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God caused the prophets and the kings and the psalmists and the apostles to write the exact instruction that he desired for all his people to have. We believe in a sovereign God that can move upon a person to write instruction for us and one who could preserve it and collect it together and make it so that we have the authoritative word of God in our own language here, even better for us. This breathed out word is God's ordained gateway into his kingdom. By this book, we enter the kingdom of God. By this book, we are discipled in Christ. By this book, we endure hardship in faith. By this book, we are made into Christ's likeness. By this book, we are delivered safely into our eternal dwelling. So each morning, when I pick up the word of God, I have the very words and ideas that God desires for me to have. When I read it, I'm hearing God's voice speak directly to me. You want to hear God's voice, you go to his word 
and you read what he has to say to you. When we read the word of God, we're sitting at the master's feet and he is personally instructing us from his own mouth, from his own mind, from his heart. And his desire is to commune with each of us through our reading of the scriptures, reading and listening to his voice, and praying back to him in response, in a heartfelt response to those truths that he's encouraging us with. This is, this is amazing, folks. We are hearing God speak to us. The God of the universe speaks to us, and then we get to speak back to him, and he's listening to us. And a, a personal relationship with this Lord of the universe is being built up over time. Convinced that these are the words of God, the blessed person meditates on the scripture. To be clear, the, the meditation that we have in mind here isn't an Eastern meditation, uh, an act of emptying one's mind so that, uh, so that there can be oneness with the divine. The psalmist is calling us to do what John Piper describes as an intentional directing of the mind to think God's thoughts after him with earnest, uh, with earnest prayer that he would grant all the spiritual effects that such a sacred communication can offer. An intentional directing of the mind to think God's thoughts after him with earnest prayer that he would grant all the spiritual effects that a sacred, that sacred communication can offer. Um, at its most basic, biblical meditation, the meditation the psalmist is calling us to is reading your Bible. Um, while meditating on the word can include several other things, at its, at its essential, it's going to be reading. Reading is a launch pad for all other forms of biblical meditation. The blessed person is described as meditating day and night. Does this mean that we should read our Bibles twice a day? We should read it in the morning and then again before we go to bed? Um, I, I don't think the psalmist is meaning to be literal here. But I do think the psalmist is painting a picture of a blessed person who thinks upon the word a lot, often, probably daily, and very likely uh, throughout the day, occasionally, the, the word is being brought to mind and being thought upon. What the blessed person reads in the morning becomes food for thought throughout the day. That's the way we should look at this meditation. It'll sometimes be some special time. It'll oftentimes just be the spirit bringing it back into remembrance, but there's going to be effort in it, no doubt. My friend Trey Roby described regular Bible reading with an analogy of filling an empty swimming pool with spoonfuls of water. Some of you who were here years ago might remember him talking about this. Now we have to, for this analogy to work at all, we've got to completely forget about evaporation, okay? Evaporation doesn't exist. But what we got to hear is a, a guy that takes a spoonful of water and once a day dumps that spoonful of water into an empty pool. Um, and it's a tiny amount of water, but what you'll have if that's done day by day and year by year over the course of many years, you'll begin to have a pool of water there. And it'll be quite amazing that it was built with spoonfuls at a time. That's how my life of Bible reading has been. Um, fairly early in my Christian walk, I was convinced that I need to be reading the scripture daily, regularly, as often as I can. Um, but it wasn't until 
um, I started reading the Bible all the way through that I recall that that habit really started to stick in my life and it took off and flourished. Uh, and so since reading the Bible all the way through worked, I just kept doing that and I've been doing that for many years now. Um, now, uh, this is just a very normal habit. Don't, don't get any starry-eyed versions of what Bill does in his devotional time. Um, I'm a slow reader. I'm an even slower thinker. Uh, it, it's hard to think, um, at least for me it is. Um, I've usually taken a year and a half or two years to read all the way through the Bible. Those one-year Bible reading plans just always frustrated me and moved far, far too fast. Um, so I read at my own pace, and I knocked it out many times now over the course of these years. Um, and I also have always found reading on Saturday and Sunday to be difficult. Friday, Monday through Friday, when the, the, the days are scheduled, quite easy for me to do. Saturday and Sunday, always harder. But I've grown to the point that the reading is easy. Uh, and now, I've just read through the Bible in a year. I've grown in my ability to comprehend and read this word of God. Um, I'm getting a bit more regular about doing this on Saturday and Sunday even. Uh, all of this means I, I read the Bible about, I, I'm supposing, 15 to 20 minutes a day. I read the Bible and pray in the midst of my reading. Um, I read something and I respond to God in prayer. Um, that's my daily spoonful. That's my allotment. And it's, it's filling the reservoir that God intends to fill in me with his word. Folks, we're going to hear lots of voices that speak contrary to God, uh, including our own sinful hearts. Uh, so it's all the more important that we get God's word, God's wisdom, the divine wisdom, the one who knows all things into us. So the most elemental form of uh, biblical meditation is reading the Bible, but there is more to this spiritual habit. Um, and, and it's important that we, that we look at them um, and, and practice them. Um, in the end, meditation is just thinking over, mulling over, stewing and steeping in whatever it is you're thinking about. You're going to be thinking all the time anyway, so you might as well put some of God's thoughts in your mind to mull over. So here are just a few practices. There are many others that you could be doing. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, as you read the scriptures, whenever you do that, linger over sentences and phrases um, that are mysterious to you, that you don't understand very well. Um, read them again in context. Try to consider what God's intended meaning is for those words. Uh, look into the cross-references. It's possible that another portion of Scripture explains what you're trying to look at in a clearer way or a way that you can understand it better. Um, ask God for understanding. He's going to be faithful to provide that to you. The Scripture is understandable for those who've been enlightened by God. And watch as he opens your mind and as he opens your heart and makes you able to understand the wondrous things of his law. Uh, also, you, can, you should humble yourself and, and get help. Um, there are many things in the Bible that are naturally difficult for us to understand. Uh, historical references that are strange or, or unknown, uh, practices of those ancient people that we don't understand, theological ideas that we haven't yet been exposed to. So be willing to get the help of those who have made it their life's work to study the scriptures and do as well as they can to determine what God's intended meaning by those words and sentences and phrases is. Now, in my 
Bible study, the, the, the most used tool outside the Bible itself is my ESV study Bible. I highly recommend uh, this book. Um, I will, when I go to read scripture, I will open up the ESV study Bible next to me. Um, I will um, move on. Every time I move to a new book, I'll look at that, uh, the, the ESV uh, study Bible and look at the setting and uh, the author and remind myself things about this book. I'll look at the themes, the major themes of the book so that I can um, know where the author is intending to take me. Um, I will very often read the commentary on the actual verses when I don't understand a verse very well, when I want to know more about it, and I'm curious what, th what else there is there to, to understand about it. It's just a wonderful tool. There are other study Bibles that you may already have that are good. Uh, this one I would highly recommend if you don't have one. Um, so humble yourself, and also write in your Bible. The Bible is a sacred text. But the copy that you have is not a sacred copy. You could write in it, write all over it. Um, uh, link things together, link ideas together, draw lines, highlight things, um, things that pop out at you, make note of them. Um, write thoughts that uh, are easy enough to put into the margin. Anything that seems like it would be helpful for the next time you read that passage. You have a thought about it, something new, something you understand better, make note of those things. And then consider capturing your, your longer uh, thoughts on the word in a notebook or in the computer or wherever journal that you have. Uh, writing this out is going to help you think through the word, help you meditate upon it, help you apply it to your lives. And lastly, really important, um, you're going you're gonna to read the Bible. You're possibly going to read several chapters of one book or you're going to read chapters in several different books. Find a verse or a passage that speaks to you and choose it to mull over throughout that day. Uh, maybe you have a break at lunch and you can bring it back out and look at it and think about it and consider it and let it get deeper into you. Maybe even you could for several days reread that passage or memorize it and meditate upon it and let God speak to you deeply about one portion of his um, inspired word. Okay. Um, the third point, the delight of the blessed person. Um, as the blessed woman meditates on God's word, she's also going to grow in delighting in God's word. And then she, as she grows in her habit of reading and meditating, thinking hard upon the sacred text, her heart's going to respond to the glorious truths that God is revealing to her. As John Piper puts it, she's going to begin to savor the wondrous things that she sees in God's word. She's going to see and savor Christ. She's going to see and savor God. She's going to see and savor the word of God itself. Now, how does this savoring, how does this delighting come about? Uh, here's a hope-filled truth. It should encourage all of our hearts. The first step in delighting in God's word has already happened for every Christian. It's already occurred. Paul describes this transformative work in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the, mind of the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then skipping to verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
while we continued to go our own way and to seek our own glory, the Lord stepped right into our souls and changed us, utterly transformed us. He divinely flipped the switch to shine light into the deep recesses of our souls that had been filled only with the darkness of our corruption and sin. And he shone brightly into that soul. This is the same thing that that is revealed to us in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, verse 26, when God promised to remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Before this regenerating work of God, our hearts, our hearts were stony hard and, and unable to receive the truths of God's word. Uh, but through what, what Jesus called the new birth, we've been given fleshy hearts. We've been given soft hearts that are now fertile soil for the revelations that God has for us in the Bible. Now we have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And this is a wonderful thing. We've been transplanted. We've been made able to soak in the nourishing life waters of the Father's revelation to us in his word. Now we can savor the loveliness and the beauty of the triune God as we encounter him in the scriptures. It's as if our capacity to recognize beauty has been expanded exponentially. We have eyes to comprehend spiritual splendor that was otherwise imperceptible to us. We find praiseworthy what was previously dull and lifeless to us. Some of you may know that I'm colorblind. Um, I see, the, the, the rainbow is so unspectacular to me that I can't remember what colors I actually see, but I think it's red and yellow, but maybe it's blue and yellow, I really can't recall. Um, so I don't see much when I look at that rainbow. Um, I once wondered to Kit aloud as we were watching TV, why, why was UPS using that old tagline, what can Brown do for you? And she says, Bill, you don't know those trucks are green, do you? Uh, those trucks are brown. And I was like, no, I didn't. I thought they were green. <laughs> uh, I thought they were green so much that I'm not going to believe their tagline. <laughs> so mostly that just makes for colorblindness, makes for some humorous um, comments from me. Uh, it makes for some questionable selections of uh, color in my outfits. Uh, I have to ask Kit about what I'm going to wear almost all the time. She picks this out. Does it look okay? <laughs> she said it was Christmassy. I just said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but it's not hard to imagine that when Ken and I go to an art museum, something is happening for her when she looks at a fine piece of art with an artist who makes wonderful use of color that doesn't happen uh, for me. She can marvel at the master's use of green and red and its symbolism, and, and I just look at it and I don't see the beauty. Since we've been acted upon by the Holy Spirit, the majesty and beauty of God's character is made vivid to us. It's like a colorblind man who all of a sudden has eyes to see all the colors of the rainbow. We can now see all the subtle contrast in color and the, the painting itself just pops out at us. We see God beautiful. When we look at the word, we now see God's providential arrangement of all things, and we marvel at it. We see God's just wrath, and we're struck with awe and reverend 
fear of him. We see his many mercifully, merciful kindnesses uh, that he shows to Israel, and we're, we're moved with gratitude and praise that he keeps his covenant with such an adulterous and unfaithful people. This is wonderful. This is good for us. And just as we behold the beauty of God's character, and we should behold the beauty of God's character in his word, we also see the greatness of his love shown to us in Christ Jesus. Our, our capacity to find the gospel beautiful is increased. Our love for the gospel and the one who created it and planned it and carried it out in our lives is increased. We have an emotional response to the beauties of God and the beauties of what he's done for us. And since all of scripture carries along this plan of God's redemption, we begin to see it everywhere and find it wonderful and gracious and beautiful and splendorous. So as you approach God's word each day, consider asking God to reveal his spectacular beauty to you. I pray with the writer of Psalm 119.18. I pray this almost every time I go to the scripture and devotions. Open my eyes, he prays. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Pray that the Lord will make true during your Bible reading the prophetic statement by Isaiah in Isaiah 33:17, when he says, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Get ready to see God glorious, God majestic, God great. Call out to God along with the apostle Paul who prayed in Ephesians 3:18 for the church uh, saying, uh, asking that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depths and to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Cry out to him for help by the spirit to walk out all the commands of scripture that you find in glad obedience and in glory to him. Now I'm not especially advanced I don't think, at delighting in God's word. But, but I can tell you with sincerity that I've grown a great deal in this area. I've grown in love, especially over the past several years, in love for the scriptures, in love with the God who spoke them. I really do take pleasure in my reading and meditating upon the Bible. Uh, what started as a spiritual discipline many years ago to read through the Bible has increasingly become a spiritual delight for me. I want this for everyone. I want everyone to enjoy the word of God. Very often, very often, and it's so fun, very often, often I get lost in my, my reading of scripture and, uh, and, I, and, and I look at my watch and realize, oh my goodness, I have to get on with the day and I need to, I'll need to leave and start applying this scripture instead of just looking and beholding it right now. All right, let's go ahead and have the worship team uh, get ready to lead us in praise as I wrap up. Um, I opened this sermon with the proposition that God-filled thinking upon God's word produces a blessed life. But I, I'm sure that there are several of us that struggle with making Bible reading a regular habit. Uh, and there's others of us that, that read the Bible um, and find it informational, but are not finding it glorious, not finding it delightful. So what do you do if you find yourself in either one of these groups? Again, not an exhaustive list, not help, not, not, there might be things otherwise that would be helpful. Ask others, look into it. But first, I would encourage you 
to adopt a plan for reading the Bible. Uh, or if you've got one and it's not working very well, then swap it out for something else that might be more suitable to you. Uh, it's the beginning of the new year. It's a perfect time to do this. Although if I was preaching this message in the middle of July, I would still be telling you to do this just the same. Uh, your heart has been already made able to see and to savor God and his word. So dive into it with the faith-filled expectation that the spirit will graciously change your disciplined, active faith into a heartfelt devotion and ask him to do just that. There are lots of Bible reading plans out there. Uh, a good way to find one is to go to the Gospel Coalition website in their search bar, type in uh, Bible reading plan. Uh, I did it just recently. You're gonna find a bunch of old articles, but that's good. They've got the same information. It hasn't changed a lot. Um, click on them until you find a list of many reading plans. Look into them, find one that works for you. I would be very glad to help you do this. Um, your pastors, your community group leaders, others that you know would be glad to, to help you um, make God's word a daily part of your diet. Second, cry out earnestly to God that he would cause your meditating on the word to be increasingly delightful. Uh, the keys to delighting in God's word lie with him and not with you. So cry out to him to give that to you. Um, you and I are never going to be the poster children for uh, delighting in God's word. That award is always and forever going to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only human being who has ever perfectly meditated upon and perfectly delighted in the scriptures. But because he has granted to us his righteousness, we also have in our born-again DNA the gene for habitual and love-filled thinking upon and delighting in God's word. It's in us by way of Jesus Christ, by way of our faith in his finished work. And then lastly, I would encourage you by asking you to, to consider meditating on the blessedness of the Psalm 1 saint. Consider that saint's happiness, that saint's fruitfulness for the benefit of others, that saint's spiritual vitality, that saint's assurance that that he will stand in the congregation of the righteous on the last day. These are all blessings that we should all want as the redeemed people of God. So consider them and ask God to increase and grow your longing for them. Let me pray for you quickly. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for, for encouraging me over these past several days with my meditation on Psalm 1. You are wonderful and good to, to speak to us through your word. And I pray, Father God, that you would increasingly cause each of us to know your voice as we read your word. Father, cause us to be a people dedicated to your word, holding it in great esteem, Father, treasuring it, Father, please grow us in love for your word and for um, the message of salvation that we get through it and, and grow us, Lord, in, in beholding and savoring you as we encounter you in scripture. Please give us the power, give us the longing, give us the, the actual uh, action of keeping your commands in 
in obedience to you and in a way that brings glory to you as we depend upon you and the wisdom of your word. I pray these things in the name of Jesus.